0: Good morning, how we doing here today in the auditorium and in the venue this morning, how we doing? All right, good, three of us. So good to see you today, my name's Adrian and uh, delighted to be teaching again this morning after a couple Sundays away, do not start your timers, we'll be here a while, <laughs> just kidding. So good to be with you today. What great worship this morning. Wasn't that rich? So powerful. (laughs) To sing to the God that all his promises to us are yes and amen. Hey, as we get started here, though, this morning, before we enter into uh, the message, uh, we just got a great, great service for you today. Really glad that you joined us for worship today. If you're a new person here today, we extend a special welcome to you. We're so glad that you chose to worship with us today. We are building a transformational community by growing in love with Christ and all people. That's our mission statement. And we pray that you have an opportunity to be really loved by God and that you're loved by other people around you today. That's what we're about, it's really that simple. You matter to us, and we're grateful, though, that you're here today. Uh, before you go today, for everyone, both here and in the venue, we'd invite you to pick up a new Bible reading plan for God's story, our story. You've been using a green one. This orange one has now been developed, uh, not just because we like orange, but because we changed a few of the dates just a little bit in the remainder of the teaching plan throughout the remainder of 2018. So if you wanna stick with us where we're going in our messages in the remainder of the year, please pick up this one at the journey wall or at the information table. Today we will be in 2 Corinthians chapter three and excited for that, but before we jump into it, I wonder if you would pray with me and uh, pray specifically, I'd like to pray right now specifically for our teachers and our students, our professors, principals, as they head back to school even this week, would you join me? Father in heaven, we are so grateful to be in this community with uh, so many wonderful teachers, so many great professors and principals and administrators who make such a difference on a day in and day out basis in our kids' lives. Such a difference in student lives, and we ask God that you would bless them, that you would anoint them, that you give them guidance as they seek to shape young minds and care for young hearts Over the course of this coming year, teaching is such a difficult job. Being a professor is such a difficult job. So Lord, we want these teachers and professors to know that we are in their corner, that we love them, we care about them, we're praying for them. And we ask God that you would help them as they guide our kids in this year to come. Please help our kids now as they go back to school this week. It's a time of nervousness for many of them, a time of anxiety for some of them. Would you please Put your hand upon them and bless them. Would you give them courage and faith and confidence as they go and meet with their classmates and their teachers? We thank you, Lord, for our UNK and Central Community College students here in this room even today. We can't wait for them to be back here on a regular basis. We ask that you bless them as they head into classes at their respective universities this fall. Strengthen them. Enable them to be a lighthouse wherever they go. Now guide us, we ask, as we enter into your scriptures. Please te- teach us, God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen and amen. We are very, very grateful for our teachers and administrators and, and principals, and, and pray that you know that as you head back to school though, this week. I, I have a number of pet peeves. You'll get to know them over the years. Probably tops on the list of my pet peeves are broken promises. Anyone else? I I just hate broken promises. As far back as I can remember, I really disliked when someone said they would do something and it looked like they really didn't even try to get it done. Or they had no intention even of getting it done. You start to recognize those people pretty quickly, don't you? I remember when I was probably 10 or 11, I have this very, very wealthy uncle who would start making these these great promises to me and my cousin. And my cousin was raised by a single mom. And I was raised by two parents who were full of love, but not full of cash, if you know what I'm saying. And so we had a lot of love in our home, but we didn't have a lot of fancy vacations. And so I was excited when this wealthy uncle would say things like, well, we're going to bring you guys to New York City, oh yeah. And the bonanza was, we're going to take you to our mountain ski house and we'll take you for a week-long ski trip with us. I can't wait. And my cousin and I, we get excited about this together, but, but those bonanzas never happened. And I think we knew they weren't going to happen. Or maybe it was sometime later when I realized that not all the people that were authority figures in my life were trustworthy. Again, you know what I'm saying. And there was a basketball coach who had authority, and we trusted him to protect us, but instead he uses his authority to try to take advantage of us. Maybe those were the sparks that triggered in me this distaste for a broken promise. I I love integrity. I love it when someone's yes is yes, and their no is no. It's part of what I love so much about working here with the great staff that we have. It's been part of what's been so awesome working with Pastor Randy, our interim executive pastor over this past year. Every single time, his yes is yes. His no is no. And if there's something that he says that he will do and he can't follow through with it on the time that he said he would do it, he owns that and he expresses it to you. It's so powerful. I want to raise a family of promise keepers. You know what I'm saying? We want to raise people of integrity who would be promise keepers. This is just really, really important to us. Now, how many people know here today, especially after those songs that we just sang, that our God is a promise keeper? Do you know that? That our Messiah, Jesus Christ, is a promise keeper every time. In the Bible, the word for promise is covenant. And a covenant is something that is given to the people of Israel on a number of different occasions in the Old Testament. And then it's given to us in the New Covenant, New Testament age as well. And a covenant is a binding agreement between two different parties in which they agree together far more than a contract. I am for you and I will do, I promise, till death do I part, I will do all that I say. That's what a covenant is. And this is the biblical idea of a promise, there are three of those kinds of binding agreements in the Old Testament. There's one or two other covenants in which God is the covenant party and there's nothing expected from humanity, but there are three covenants in the Old Testament that are these binding agreements, but between God and his people, and I wanna talk about those with you, for just a moment, but before we get into 2 Corinthians chapter three. The first of those, and we've talked about each of these in our story, God's story, our story, And the first of these is what's called the Abrahamic Covenant. You might remember when we looked at Abraham way back in early February that Abraham was called by God to leave his home country and go to a foreign land called Canaan, to leave his family, leave all that he knew, and go to a foreign land with foreign people and see this land that one day would be given to his offspring. And he said yes into a completely unknown area. And God says, if you do this, Abram, later Abraham, this is what I will do for you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you I will bless you Abraham so that you'll be a blessing to others your name will be great and the other nations will be a blessing through your lineage because I am making you Abraham to be a lighthouse for the nations that was the first covenant the second covenant was what we would call the Israelite covenant or the Mosaic covenant as it's more commonly called. The Mosaic Covenant was given to the people of Israel, given first to Moses as he went up to Mount Sinai, and then Moses gave it to, to the people of Israel. And the basic covenant promise was this. You do these laws that I'm giving to you, people of Israel. You do the Ten Commandments and the other laws, and I will make you into a holy nation. Now, if you obey me fully and you keep my covenant... Then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession, Israel. You'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you'll be special to me. You will be to me a holy nation. And so the people responded together at this offer of this binding promise, God, we will do everything that you tell us to do. (laughs) How'd that go? Uh, Not so much, right? They didn't do everything that he told them to do, hardly at all. They failed their side of the covenant. And then it turns into immorality and injustice and worshiping a golden calf and all the rest that Israel devolved into. And in time, eventually, they get into that promised land that God still fulfilled for Abraham. And they're in that promised land. And they say, God, would you just make us like all the other nations? We don't want to be a holy people. We don't want to be a set-apart people. We want to be like all the other nations. Would you give us a king so we could be like them? We don't want to just have you as our king. We want a a king in the flesh. And so God gives them a king, and eventually he establishes his third covenant with a man named David, King David. And the divinic covenant goes like this. The Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. He'll establish a temple for you, and when your days are over and you rest with your, orn- with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring, your sons, to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, and your throne will be established forever and ever. This was the Davidic covenant that said there will be a king over the people of Israel from the line of King David, forever and ever. Now, did that happen? No, it didn't. Because here's what happened. Israel devolved into injustice, horrible acts of injustice, and they worshiped other false gods, and they went into exile under foreign nations, first to Syria, and then Babylon, and then Persia for generations. And the temple was sacked, And Jerusalem was destroyed, and there was no one on the kingdom of Israel over the people of Israel for a number of generations. And so you ask, did God fail his promise there? Did he? No, he was looking forward to another day in which he would ultimately fulfill his promise in which there would be a king who would reign with justice and peace forevermore. Looking for a king who would reign with justice by overcoming sin and satisfying sin in himself. Reign with peace by reigning in our hearts. A king who would come, as it was prophesied, into a little town called Bethlehem. Born to a virgin by the name of Mary. From the line of King David. Way back to the lineage of Abraham, perfectly fulfilling all of the laws of Moses, that he would be a king who would turn ordinary sinners like you and me into extraordinary saints who are looking more and more like him, that he would be the king over our hearts, reigning forever and ever. And did you know that day is now here? That day is now here. It's so fascinating to me that these are the very first words of Matthew's very Jewish gospel is the, the, the gospel of Matthew. And we flip the page to, to the New Testament here. And uh, the very Jewish gospel of Matthew, the very first words are these. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. That's the Hebrew name for Savior. The son of. The son of the son of David and the son of the son of David, and the son of Abraham. Here he is fulfilling the promises of God. And then you move over to the Gospel of John and you see yet the same thing, fulfilling the promises of God as given to Moses. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth. The law given to Moses and no one fulfilled it completely, so Jesus comes in and he fulfills it completely. And then he offers grace and truth through Jesus Christ to us. He is the fulfillment of all of the old covenant promises. This, my friends, is where we live now. It's called the age of grace, given by our loving Father in heaven. And he promised this hundreds of years before, made in flesh through Jesus Christ our Lord, who pitched a tent, took on flesh and blood, and dwelt within the neighborhood with ordinary men and women like us. And this is the fulfillment of the new covenant promise that fulfills all the old covenant promises that preceded it, which we've been talking about for the past 30 weeks or so. Up on the screen you'll see one more verse before we get to 2 Corinthians 3, and it comes from Ezekiel chapter 36. And this is the promise, one of several promises in the Old Covenant, of the coming New Covenant promise, which is with us now. Would you read this aloud with me, both here in the auditorium and in the venue? Would you please read this together? It goes like this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And this is precisely what Jesus came to do. Did you know that all of the Bible points to Jesus? The Old Testament is looking forward to the fulfillment of all the promises of God in Jesus. The Gospels are looking at Jesus. They're beholding the beauty of Jesus for us. Through four small biographies, we get to see the way he lived and what he taught in the flesh. The New Testament letters are looking back at Jesus and asking how can we apply his teachings and his life to our lives. And then the final book of the Bible, Revelation, is looking forward to Jesus coming again in glory. He is the fulfillment of it all. It's about him. He is the star of the story. He's the one that fulfills the promises given to Abraham. That Abraham and the people of Israel well, would be a lighthouse to the world. And Jesus is now that lighthouse to the world. He is the one that fulfills all of the expectations given to Moses and to the Hebrews. That you would not sin in any way. You would not depart from the law in any way. You would fully follow all the Ten Commandments. And all the 613 commandments that were given to the Hebrew people in the book of Leviticus. And he fulfilled them all. He is the one who fulfills the promise of a person in the line of King David on the throne over the Israel of God, that's you and me who believe in Christ forever and ever. He is the answered hope of the new covenant, not on letters of stone. He takes away our old heart of granite and he gives us a heart of flesh that now pulsates with the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And so you fast forward, that, all, all of that that I just said is a very long introduction, and the context for 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in which Paul now picks up his pen, and he's going to teach his church about this gift of the new covenant. And you pick up the story here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. You'll see these verses on the screen, or you can follow along in your Bible, but the Apostle Paul says this, You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, that's a reference, written with ink, that's a reference to the old covenant law, not with ink on tablets, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, that's a reference to the Ten Commandments, but on tablets of the human heart, that God's spirit, that his law, that. His will is now written on our hearts as we trust in Christ for our salvation and for life and godliness in him. This is a fulfillment of what we just looked at there in Ezekiel 36. Now you you let this settle in for just a moment. What it's saying here is that the new center of God's activity in the world, don't miss this, the new center of God's activity in the world is not a temple. The new center of God's activity in the world is not some laws, it's not even the tabernacle, as great as that was to have the tabernacle with the Jewish people as they were going through the wilderness to their promised land. The new center of God's activity in the world is you. It's people who have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. Such that the scriptures say repeatedly, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's ordinary folks like you and me who have bowed our knees to Christ and say to him, yes, you are Savior and Lord over my life. And it's us with all the sights and smells therein. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the center of what God is doing in the world. And so as this chapter continues, and I really encourage you to read it later on today because it is so incredibly glorious. As it continues, Paul reminds his audience that after Moses returned return from Mount Sinai with those Ten Commandments in hand, his face was glowing with the glory of God. You might remember that story from back in Exodus 34, and Paul talks about it here in Uh, 2 Corinthians 3, his face was aglow with the glory of God after he was in the presence of God. So much so that they looked at him and they just said, wow, there is something different about him. You ever look at someone after they've been in the presence of Christ, after they've been in worship or after they've had a really rich time of retreat away alone with God, and you say, wow, there is something special about that person. There's something different about that person right now. What is that? That's what was going on. He's coming out of being in the presence of God. But what the scripture tells us is that as he's coming out of being in the presence of God, this glory that was on his face, this radiance was starting to fade. Because quite literally, he was meeting with God in a moment and then walking away. And so as it started to fade, Moses would put a veil over his face so that his people would not see his fading radiance. So they wouldn't see his fading glory. Verse 13 in 2 Corinthians 3 says, Moses would put a veil over his face in part to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was now passing away. And so as great as it was to be in the presence of the living God and to have these ten commandments, he was now walking away from the presence of the living God and so there was a fading glory to him. And so what Paul is saying here is that there's actually, get this, a surpassing glory for you and me in the new covenant era. As great as it was for Moses to meet face to face with God at Mount Sinai, it was a fading and temporary glory. Whereas we who have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, we get to be with him all the time. It's a surpassing glory, I hear someone say. Moses would put a veil over his face. You look at verse, actually, look at this chart that you'll see on the screen here. There's a chart on your outline that kind of summarizes it and it goes like this. Basically, Old Covenant, this is Paul's train of thought, It was glorious, but it was fading, and it was ineffective for long-term change. The old covenant of the Ten Commandments still provides boundaries for our lives, and that's good, but it won't ultimately change us because rules and boundaries are not enough. We need the Holy Spirit in us. We need the gospel truth to change us from the inside out. What we have now is glorious and eternal and transformative because Christ has forgiven us forevermore and he's given us a new spirit that pulsates with his spirit. And because of that, he says in verse 12, because of that, we are very bold. Mm. Oh, baby, I want some more boldness. How about you? Man, I want to have some more boldness in my life. Who else? Would you raise your hand if you want some more boldness in your life? I'd like some more boldness in knowing that I can be in the presence of God every day, and so what can man really do to me? This is the contrast that Paul is providing for us. We have newfound courage. Here's the big idea that you want to be sure you take away from 2 Corinthians 3 and flipping the page into the New Covenant, New Testament era. In the New Covenant, The new covenant makes us courageous new creations through Christ Jesus. It doesn't do a temporary work on us. It does a permanent work of changing us from timidity to boldness, from inadequacy in self to adequacy in God. And we would all like to have newfound courage, and that's what we get in the presence of God. We simply admit our own inadequacy Because we receive God's adequacy for us. As is stated other places in the scriptures, when he is weak, then we are, then we're strong. His grace is sufficient for us. We don't rest in our own adequacy any longer. That's not what Christianity teaches. We don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps any longer. That's not what Christianity teaches. It teaches we rest in the finished work of Christ. And his adequacy is far greater than our inadequacy. We rest in the finished work of Christ, not on our IQ. Not on our heritage. Not on our previous successes. Our growth as Christians comes from being tethered to the vine called Jesus Christ, who gives us the nourishment, the sap that we need for living more and more like him. I tell you as I as I studied this passage last week it brought me to tears. Like I, I mean, I can I believe this because it's written in the scriptures, but I can hardly believe it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I looked at myself in the mirror when I woke up at 6 a.m. There wasn't much radiant about it. <laughs> but but God, you invite me to reflect your radiance, to be very bold because I get to reflect your glory. Yes. Yes, ordinary messy people with all of our warts and foibles, with all of our disabilities and struggles and depression and anxiety and everything else. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. We get to reflect him, even us. Which isn't really a surprise Well, when you think about it. I mean, Paul is writing to Corinth of all places. He's writing to these Corinthians. And the Corinthians, if you, if you know your Bible history, uh, Corinth is a very, very messy church. They had stuff going on in that church which, I beg to God, is not happening in this church. I don't know. i I, I got to assume it's not. I hope it isn't. I pray it isn't. They had stuff going on in that church. It was just absurd if you read 1 and 2 Corinthians carefully. And it was a church that, unfortunately, because it was surrounded by so much wickedness, took on some of the wickedness around it. Corinth was a city kind of like Las Vegas. You, you know that, that uh, saying, what happens in Vegas stays in... Stays in Corinth. That's the way it would be. There was a proverb of the day that went like this Not for every man is the voyage to Corinth. It's not for every man to make that voyage. It's a dirty place that is so full of vulgar materialism and temple prostitution and worship of all kinds of false gods. And yet, Paul is saying, even there, to these followers of Christ, there is going to be a day that you are going to move from one glory to another glory. As you lean into Christ, you're going to be so transformed by the power of the Spirit in you that you are going to look like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And you're going to be so beautiful, you're going to be so radiant that people are going to need to put sunglasses on because they can't look at you. And that's what he's offering to us, this radiance that as we dwell in the presence of the one who alone is God, we will be changed from one glory to another glory. The the, the glory of the new covenant is this, I will remember your sins no more. I will forgive your wickedness and I will remember your sins no more. I will give you a new heart, I will put a new spirit in you. And then the words that God the Father says to Jesus, I believe they're the same words that God the Father would say to you. At the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, God the Father says to his son Jesus, This is my son in whom I delight, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And you, if you've trusted in Christ, are a son or daughter of God. I believe that he would say that of you. This is my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I delight. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I delight. And if you've ever had a father say those words to you, it made you feel like a million bucks. It made you feel like you would run through a brick wall for him. And sometimes people ask me, Adrian, why are you so passionate? Settle down. I'll run through a brick wall for Jesus. I'll run through a brick wall for the Father because he said those words for me. And In the presence of perfect love, there's no fear. As 1 John 4 says, perfect love casts out all fear. So give us courage, make us new creations in you. Verse 17 and 18 wraps it up, and what a beautiful chapter it is. Again, read it later this afternoon. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's liberty. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image to be like little Jesuses wherever we go, God-shaped Jesuses wherever we go, into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit of who dwells within us, his spirit is in us, he will never leave us or forsake us. You you see, some people just don't really get what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't come to make us better people. He came to make us new people. Jesus didn't come to fix you up. Jesus came to bring dead people to life. Jesus didn't come to say, yeah, a few little tweaks here and there. He came and he said, I'm gonna make this into a new creation. And I'm gonna transform this one from one glory to another, far surpassing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit who is in us bit by bit, it won't take long, just 20, 30, 40 years. He will change us into the likeness of Christ. Which is exactly what Paul says a couple chapters later And this kind of wraps it up as we come to baptisms in just a couple moments here. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. The old you, characterized by whatever characterized the old you, I could go on and on for another 30 minutes about what characterized the old me. It's gone. The new you, in Christ Jesus, has come. And that's what we're about to celebrate as we come to baptism. Let's put a bow on it with this. I started off with um, my hatred of broken promises. Let me close by saying, I cannot cast any stones. Because the truth is, every one of us has failed the reliability test at least a couple times. And so we all are in need of a savior. We all are in need of one who would make us new creations. We all are in need of a promise keeper who is faithful and true, who keeps his promises every time, who gives us new courage, who makes us new creations. Please pray with me. Oh Father, how, Grateful I am for the work that you have done in me and in so many of us here in this room. Not to fix us up, not to do some little tweaks, but to make us new creations in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we look at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we remember that all of your promises are yes in Christ and amen and amen. They are true. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you fulfilled all of the covenants that preceded you. You are the lighthouse to the world, and we want to be a part of that work with you. You fulfilled all of the laws of God, and then you gave us your life to fulfill what we could not fulfill on our own. And now through you, we can begin to obey you more and more. You reign over all who call on the name of Jesus, And your reign will never end. You reign with justice and peace. And so we ask you to be the one true God, the governor, the king, the president, the Lord over our hearts. There might be some in here today who have never actually received Christ, never given their lives over to him. And why would you wait another day? Why would you wait another day? There's only one promise keeper and he wants to be your promise keeper. He wants to reign over your life with righteousness and peace and justice forevermore. And if you'll have him, he will have you right now. Thank you, Lord, for your great promises. Thank you for your great love. Thank you that you've made us new creations. Thank you that we now get to celebrate that through this gift of baptism. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, God's people pray. Amen. Amen.